all right, well, if you would turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 as we continue our trek through the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to pick it up well, about verse 28. So let's go before the Lord in prayer and we'll pick it up there. Father, we again come before you now this morning, Lord, and we do pray that you would just continue to bless the ministry of Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child too, Father. We, um, it's just great to be able to minister to the next generation coming up, Father, and particularly those that are in very difficult uh, uh, situations, well, I guess maybe what we would consider it, um, that don't have much, and uh, a small g- gift is just a, a big thing in their lives, Lord. And so we thank you for all those that partake and participate and serve and work, uh, Lord, and those that share the gospel and go through the 12-week class. And uh, Father, we know that um, there's a lot of great ministry going on there, a lot of seeds being sown. And now, Father, as we gather together, Lord, we thank you for the rain, Lord, bringing it early, uh, although I know there's some concerns about coming at too great of an amount in some of the fire areas, Lord. And, and um, But Lord, we know you told us that there would be all kinds of um, I guess what we would could say natural signs or, uh, you know, earthquakes and, you know, these kind of fires and floods and all those kind of uh, events would, uh, would come uh, close to your uh, return. And so, Father, we know this is all just kind of part and parcel of that and may it draw our hearts and our eyes closer to you. And as we do look at um, your word this morning, Father, may we just, um, again, uh, see and hear and receive all that you want to speak to us this morning, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we've been talking about Jesus making his way um, from the Galilee all the way into Jerusalem, and this morning we're going to be uh, in a passage that we're normally in around uh, Resurrection Day or Easter Day, um, uh, the triumphal entry. we left off last time with Jesus passing through Jericho and then uh, the people thinking that his return would be imminent. And then Jesus said, no, um, uh, you know, again, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be paying for, for the sins of, of the world, essentially. And I uh, want you to occupy until I come. I want you to be faithful until I come. I, I'm not taking control of Israel right now. I, I just want you to be faithful uh, until I do come back. And then, of course, he told that story that we spent some time on last week. And then verse 28 tells us, And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And so we know that's the, the context of the story. And I'll put our map back up there again. So he has been through Jericho. And so on that last leg between Jericho and, and Bethany or Bethage, which is right outside of Jerusalem there. Um, and here's a little another little map, so uh, you can kind of get the topography there, the mountains, you know, and we can see how Bethage and Bethany are, are pretty close to um, right outside the city there, and so he's coming in um, about right there. Um, he's uh, just really at the, almost to the crest of the Mount Scopus, the Mount of Olives up there coming down, and so um, he's made his way there. This is the final week, if you would, in, in the life of Jesus here, the ministry on earth, um, as he came as a babe in Bethlehem, or 
And so uh, verse 29 tells us, uh, and again, this is what we call the triumphal entry. Most of us are pretty familiar with it. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he he set two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite of you where as you enter you will find a colt tied, which on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent, uh, who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are, we, why are you loosening the colt? And they said, well, the Lord has need of him. And so, you know, Jesus, again, uh, as he's, before he's uh, making that descent. Now, remember that Mount of Olives or Mount Scopus is called um, the, the highest part of it. You know, you, you enter, you go down, and it's actually higher than the city of Jerusalem. So you have to kind of go down the Kidron Valley and into the, into, the, into the city here. And he's preparing now to make what we call, again, or what we refer to generally as a triumphal entry. He's getting everything uh, prepared to go, and he has prepared it. And in some way, it doesn't really tell us, but he had it all prepared where he would have this, be riding this um, uh, young donkey. So it would be a, um, not a, uh, it would be a, a young donkey. It has never been written before, so obviously a donkey had... Um, a small colt, and it's grown up at some point, and, and Jesus had it worked out, ready there for him, and so he sends the disciples to go over there uh, to get it, and this is all part of, because this is what God had foretold would happen, how he would enter in to Jerusalem. Uh, again, fulfilling all the prophecies that were spoken about this event, that had been spoken about hundreds of years ago. And uh, one of them was that this, you know, donkey would be, had never been ridden before. And, you know, and I start thinking about that. I, I don't know. Maybe you watched enough cowboy movies growing up. They were pretty popular when we were kids. But, you know, and you still see them when, when, when an animal hasn't been ridden before, it's pretty uncontrollable, right? I mean, uh, I, you know, donkeys, of course, are known for being very stubborn, uh, and yet uh, Jesus is going to be riding an animal that has never been ridden before. And, um, and yet, it has no problem under Jesus. And uh, again, uh, just you think of its stubbornness, you think of how it wants to reject a rider and you know, just do its own thing. It's just typically what an animal would do. And yet, Jesus has no problem, and this is what God had foreordained, that he would be riding as he comes into Jerusalem. And I can't help but to think that's such a good analogy of us, what Jesus does in our own stubborn, uh, rejecting kind of lives, right? We can be so stubborn and maybe, I don't know how many times, uh, you know, you rejected, you know, the Lord before you actually received him into your heart, if you have, then, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a good picture of how Jesus still does that today, you know, um, when we just allow Jesus to do that work, that stubbornness, the you know, the heart and the attitudes just, um, he does a great thing in our lives, just just changing us from the inside out. And uh, I, I think writing that cult is a good example of that. And, and again, the father just said, this is the way I want it to be presented. 
Now, at this point in time, typically, and, and typically in other points in, in history previous to this, certainly, you know, centuries earlier, uh, typically that, you know, they would be riding on, on a war stallion, right? I mean, uh, the king, if you were just uh, coming back from that battle or a victory in some way or some sort of campaign, certainly the Romans, you know, they would have the, the, the best-looking animals and the leader or the general, whoever the... The king would be, you know, leading that procession, and he would have this, you know, powerful war animal uh, and this war ho uh, horse. But, you know, the Lord ordained that Jesus would ride in on this young colt, this young donkey. And it wouldn't be very macho, we'd say, or chutzpah, maybe <laughs> the Jews would say. Uh, it doesn't look like much. Now, um, don't think the Jews didn't have war horses. You know, we, we know way back in David's day and even before that, that, you know, there was war horses around and they had plenty of war horses. So it wasn't a matter that the Jews didn't have access to, to war horses because they certainly did. And we know Solomon, you know, at, at his height, he had, what, 12,000 or something um, chariot horses or, and he would buy and sell them. We, we talked about that on Wednesday night some months ago. So it wasn't like they didn't have that accessible to him or wouldn't be around, but yet the Lord chooses for him to ride on this animal. And certainly the Jews would understand this picture because typically, um, you know, during times of peace and where they would move around, they would ride on donkeys. It was common for them to do that. As a matter of fact, I, I remember the first time I went over to Israel, I was, we were driving in a bus and I looked out the side and you see all the Bedouin tents, they still kind of move around all over the place. And I was kind of getting a good laugh because they have satellite dishes outside, right, to get TV. But yet they're living in a tent. They have a generator going. And then not too far, I see this guy sitting on the back of a donkey, riding him, talking on a cell phone. I mean, I thought that was like the most hilarious thing, you know, the contradiction in, in, in a you know, riding a donkey, yet there's talking on a cell phone, and that's and that was in the early '90s when cell phone was having a cell phone was kind of a big deal here in the states, at least. It was pretty expensive to use it. So, I mean, they still do it to this point, and do it even today to a certain degree, right? Some of the Bedouins do that, but he is riding this. We know that, um, and again, in the books of the Kings, we've talked about them riding uh, on donkeys before. And what the Lord is doing here and what the Father ordained for him to do was to ride on this young colt because they, the, the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy uh, of riding this colt was to really present Jesus as the Prince of Peace. He didn't, he's not coming in as a war stallion, I'm going to come and smash you, and I smashed whoever, you know, um, I, I did to... To, to get this vic, vic, victory parade. That's not uh, our, the picture that our Heavenly Father wanted of Jesus. He wanted him to, to demonstrate he is the Prince of Peace. He's come here to save all, that he loves people, and he wants to gather uh, the Jews and, and everyone to him. Just keep that in mind. You know, people, again, misrepresent God. They have a bad image of God. They think of him as something different. But, you know, he wanted to present him in that light that the people particularly in that day would see that very clearly that no he's coming in peace and he is the prince of peace and i think it's just important that 
you know, um, that we see that and understand that. That's the whole idea, the humility behind it. I'm not here to conquer and, and smash up everything. I, I, I'm showing here, I'm here to bring you peace and to bring you love and to bridge that gap between a sinful man and a holy God. And that writing in was a, a, a clear picture of, of that heart of the Father. And then verse 35 says, Then uh, they brought him to Jesus. So they took the colt, they untie it, and then, what are you doing? Oh, the Lord needs him. You got it. Send him over there. And they threw their clothes, own clothes on the colt, and they, set on, uh, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Now, of course, we know the Gospel of John tells us that they also cut down palm branches and put that, that down as well. And I think, you know, sometimes we... We might lose sight of this in our day and age, particularly in our culture, and maybe not in a lot of other cultures, but particularly in ours, um, because in that day, the average person didn't have but one set of clothes. Maybe they had one spare extra piece of clothing, but clothing was difficult to come by, and it was expensive. And, um, you, you know, you, you just didn't have it. But can you imagine taking your one jacket or your one kind of outer shirt that you wore, and all of a sudden now it becomes this makeshift saddle between Jesus and the donkey. Now, I don't know if you've ever ridden a horse before, but after you ride a horse uh, for a period of time, I've never ridden a donkey, but I imagine it's the same kind of thing. You know, that saddle between the, <laughs> the horse and the bottom of the saddle is nasty, right? I mean, it's got the sweat of the animal on there, and it's got... You know, the rubbing of it all, so all the hair. I mean, I want you to, you know, to, to picture that. This is the only jacket you have or, or an outer piece of clothing. Maybe you'd have a, you know, a, a robe, but you'd have, um, and, and again, you know, because sewing took time. So having a, a one or two seams is better than tr sewing up the inseam of a pants and the outside. of You know what I mean? I understand a lot of sewing and work went involved in that. So it would cost a lot more. So you'd have maybe one outer garment on the outside, and just for better word, an outer shirt or a jacket. And you're using it either as a saddle pad or you're putting it down on the dirt so that a donkey with, a, with Jesus on it can walk over it. I, I, you know, I, I just went through my closet like just a few weeks back and um, I think I, I told the story of the kids uh, during homecoming week. They were dressing in different eras, and, and uh, I was trying to find something because I could probably find something from the last three or four decades in my closet. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> you've got shirts that go kind of back for quite a ways. And, you know, oh, you need something for the 80s? I probably got something in my closet from the 80s, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I tend to, things that I like, I tend to hold on even if I don't wear them. And and, you know, and Anastasia had a dress to 2000s. So that was no problem, right? But, um, and then, you know, I started thinking, yeah, I just, this, all this stuff is here. And, you know, we know somebody that they give clothes away locally here to, um, their church does a, a big outreach. And so I started putting all this stuff in, in a pile. And then, you know, I put it so that they could, you know, give it out and all that. And I was thinking how much we have. But, you know, compared to them, I mean, they're just laying it, on the road. My, my one thing that keeps me warm, my one thing that I have, you know, clothes that's valuable, I'm using it as a saddle pad or as something that 
people are going to walk over, and, and, and certainly an animal's going to walk over. And you know, what happens if there's a rock underneath it, and the donkey's hoofs on it, and it just tears a big old hole in it, you know? They didn't care about that. And, and what they were happy to do, and what I think is important to see, is they did what they could do. And they didn't worry about this. They didn't have much, but what I do have, I am willing to use it for Jesus. And I just think that's just such a great heart that, you know, that we always need to have. You know, I, I, I can, you know, I may not have this, and I may not be this, and I may not be that smart, or I may not be that good at that, or I can't really do this, you know, but I can do what I can do. You know, I, I, I know I can, I, I'll do what I can do. And we would call it today rolling out the red carpet, right? You, you know, we know in our day, um, you know, you watch any kind of award shows and they have so many award shows, right? And they just did football, um, Hall of Fame, and you know, all it doesn't matter, all the Hollywood kind of things of music, whatever, TV, blah, blah, blah. Everybody gives awards in every industry because, anyway, let's not go down that road. But, <laughs> right, they, they roll out the red carpet and they just rent some red carpet or whatever. This, this, this is coming at everybody's personal expense, right? And they were willing to do it. Yeah, it's okay if it gets ruined or it gets smelly or it gets dirty or whatever happens. I have this and I can show and express my love for the Lord by doing this. And, um, uh, you know, I think that's just the heart the Lord wants. Uh, you know, not to come up with excuses why I can't and why this isn't possible, but just, you know, but what I can or what I have or I, 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 am, I willingly give that to you, Lord. I willingly want to participate, in this case, in this celebration. It's just kind of the heart the Lord wants us to be in, in everything in our lives. Now, the second coming of Jesus, uh, you know, uh, you know, and second, the other thing, Jesus coming in, we'll talk about, you know, there's going to be more going on here. Um, but uh, you know, what else it's going to fulfill and what he's going to be doing here. But it's important, I also think it's important just to remember, you know, as Jesus is making his way, um, you know, coming in on the, the colt, coming down off the hill, people are now, you know, laying their jackets, they're cutting palm branches down, they're rolling out the red carpet. As he is, you know, starting to do all that and the people are going to talk and praise and sing out in just a minute here. But... Again, I think it's important, secondly, to remember the background of what's going on here. You know, in John eleven sixteen, when they were way up in the Galilee, before they started making this trip down to Jerusalem, and Jesus said, you know, let's go down to Jerusalem. I'm going to, in fact, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to go heal Lazarus. That's the, the background to this, John chapter 11. Heading down into that area, when he knew he was heading down and going to go to Jerusalem, this is what Thomas said, then Thomas, who was called the twin, I always love it because our Thomas is a twin. <laughs> we can call him Didymus. But he said to his uh, fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. You know, Thomas kind of gets a bad rap because, you know, I don't believe it till I see him and doubting Thomas and all this kind of stuff. And he did do that, certainly. But before that event took place, Thomas was willing and encouraging the disciples, listen, if we head down to Jerusalem... Because they hate him down there. The religious leaders, not the people, but the religious leaders, those who in power hated him. They figured, he figured he was going to his death and he was willing to go down there to go to his death. So, you know, you, 
we, we, we can't forget this whole side of Thomas. But back to our, uh, the point of this, though, is that Thomas knew, as, as Jesus said, we're going to be heading down to the area of Jerusalem. That's where we're going to go. Um, you know, they thought it was going to be a death sentence. And, and certainly, as we read, read on in John a little bit farther down, uh, John chapter 11, it says, uh, verse 56, they kept looking for Jesus as they stood in the temple area and asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So as Jesus is coming on this triumphal entry, don't forget that we would say today there was a warrant out on him. So typically, you, if you have the warrant out on you, you're not going to make a big fanfare, right? You're going to try to sneak in and, and you know, uh, kind of come under the radar. I mean, people had started coming to Jerusalem already for the Passover, and they hadn't seen him yet. He hasn't showed up yet. Uh, is he going to come? He may not come because they know they want to arrest him, you know, and, and uh, you know, they want to kill him. So maybe he's not going to show up. And that was kind of the scuttlebutt around the city before Passover. And, and the heart was that he was, you know, doing this. He knew what was ahead of him, and yet he was doing it, and he was faithful to do that. And, you know, again, there was a warrant out for his arrest, and yet he's going to make this huge public display because this was a wonderful day, long promised to go by the Father, and certainly nothing was going to stop it, not the religious leaders and those in power or anybody else and so he was going to fulfill the prophecy. He was going to come the way he said he was going to come. The, the words that are said are going to be said because they're fulfilling prophecy. What he does is all a, pro, uh, all a part of God's plan that had been foreordained um, since the beginning of time and, you know, and had been foretold in the Old Testament prophets and Psalms that this is what's going to happen. And so none of this stuff is going to stop that. And I kind of labor this point for just a reason. It's just... Keep that in mind, because in our day and age, you know, there's going to be more and more and more and more pressure on us, you know, to not speak of our beliefs, not live what we know to be true from the Bible and what God said and what he's told us to do. Um, and, I'll, and I'll just tell you that day is getting closer and closer and closer. I... Okay, I wasn't going to add this story, but I'll tell you the story really quickly because I think it just highlights it. So where the church um, has its uh, bank account is a local uh, community credit union. You know, I thought it was important. I do that personally, but I think it was important for the church to support the local community bank, right? It's a little community credit union that we have here in, around the county. And um, they sent out a notice last, no, this week. And they said uh, the new plan that's coming out, which I hadn't heard in the news, and I, find, I consider myself pretty up-to-date on everything that's going on. I try to at least be that way, and I, and I enjoy it in doing it. But they sent out an email to us saying that this new, the new um, $3.5 trillion, I'm sorry, dollar uh, spending plan that Biden is, President Biden has put forth, uh, one of the things in this plan is that they want every financial institution, which is a credit union, a bank, uh, you know, investment companies, whatever, uh, any financial institution, they want to, uh, they are requiring that you report, um, in this case, every transaction that comes in and out of your account. 
So all your purchases, all your deposits, all your transfers, all um, money going to and from the account in any form or fashion has to be reported annually to the IRS. And I was like, what? And, they, and they, 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 the credit union said, you know, send a letter to your congressman and senator, tell them that you don't want this part in there. And I was like, what? They want, the IRS wants every, so when you go over to Knob Hill and you buy your, um, you know, your bologna sandwich, whatever, you know what I mean? You get your quarter of milk or whatever like that, and you put your ATM down, that's going to be reported according to the proposed, from what well, the credit union says, it's going to be reported to the IRS that you spent, you know, three seventy-five on a, on a gallon of milk, right? And, and they're going to have all that information, and it makes me just think, you know, and maybe it does instantly with you too. It's like, man, the, remember the last days? There's not going to be any buying or selling without <laughs> having a particular mark, which we know what that is, right? And it's going to control down to that level. And sometimes you scratch your head, but then I read this and I go, man, the, the, the IRS is going to know whatever you spent, whatever went in or out of your account, they're going to have, the government is going to have a record of that. Now, I'm not getting in all the conspiracy and all that, and I, and I personally hate having the idea of the government having that much information. Of course, I hate Google that has that much information probably too, but, but the bottom line is it just shows us how you know times are drawing near and, and the close of this age, the church age, this age of grace that Jesus is ushering in that we're reading about this morning. But just, you know, again, um, when we see these things and we read these things, just like in Jesus' day, there was just tons of pressure on the disciples and certainly Jesus spoke about this many times, but it didn't stop them from doing what the Lord had called them to do. And just like them in that day and us in that day, we just don't fear because um, God's word is going to come to pass. His plan and his work is going to come to pass. We just need to be faithful in it. And yep, sometimes there's a price to be paid in, in certain ways and certainly some of us have paid some prices for that maybe at work or in relationships or in certain things over the years, and uh, that's going to happen. But just we could take heart and faith in the fact that know that the Lord is taking care of it, and what He says is going to happen is going to happen, and we can trust Him. And that's exactly what's going on here, even in this context. Well, verse 37, And now as He was uh, drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, it tells us the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so again, you know, we have this cheers and we know the, 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 the Hebrew word Hosanna is going to be said and, and all that um, sung to the Messiah. It was foretold in Psalm 118, which um, they're singing here. And Jesus actually will quote from Psalm 118 uh, later on as well. Um, again, there's this huge crowd coming down. He, you know, they're laying this out before him, rolling out the red carpet, and there's this crowd, you know, uh, you know, coming and following them and seeing the great works that he had done and all that he had resurrected Lazarus and all that had happened in Jericho. And you, you imagine blind Bartimaeus, I imagine, was there. And I imagine Zacchaeus was there and Lazarus and Mary and Martha and and all the other people, you know, had followed him and are following him. And I also believe there's a, 
a, a huge crowd with Jesus that hadn't come to Jerusalem for, for, for probably many, many years. It hadn't come to Passover maybe for many, many years. You know, I think of all those sinners, you know, the tax collectors and those that were looked down upon on the religi- by the religious leaders, you know, that they kept complaining that Jesus was talking to them or ministering to them or having a meal with them. I imagine that those guys at some point just didn't even bother going to the feast, right? Or they wouldn't even allow them to come around. You know, even if they wanted to go and and wanted to celebrate, I imagine the religious leaders just kind of shooing them way out of the temple grounds. And and you can imagine there was a a, a percentage of this crowd that said, what's the point? What's the use? Even going to Jerusalem. And they probably hadn't been there for many, many years. But but now Jesus is going, and they know that Jesus loves them. And, you know, and, and, and he is willing to talk to them and minister to them and, and, and speak to them and, uh, you know, share the good news with them as well as everybody else. And I imagine they're coming by the thousands, you know, for the first time or, or, or hadn't come in many years at least. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons the Father had all this in place, uh, you know, and foreordained long ago was thinking of them as well. And I think one of the reasons the church grew so much in Acts, early in Acts, remember they started when the Holy Spirit came and all of a sudden 3,000 were added to the church and it seems like just you know a matter of days or goes by or weeks or so and then another 5,000 are added. You know, I think that those are made up of many of the people that came to Jerusalem with Jesus who wouldn't have bothered to go to Jerusalem before uh, you know, Jesus ministered to their lives and changed their heart. And now when they're hearing the gospel and that he rose and, and all the disciples are preaching, that they come as believers now. I mean, we've got to think about all those displaced people now that are, I think are part of this huge crowd. And just imagine now, everybody's singing and they're, they're praising and they're singing these songs and they're rejoicing. And it was just a great celebration. And then verse 38, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You know, there's always those people who hate the fact that you're so excited about Jesus. Isn't there in your life? They just resent somehow the fact that you are in love with Jesus, that you get excited to read your Bible, or you go excited to sing uh, Christian songs or talk about the Lord, and there's just always those that hate that fact, and, or or they just don't like it because it doesn't fit their mold, or you know this isn't the way it should go down, or you can't keep doing this, or keep it down, don't get so excited, don't be you know so alive for this, and you know just you know temper it down a little bit, or they or they just re- simply just resent the fact. There's always going to be those that are going to want to throw cold water on your relationship with the Lord. And they'll try to discourage you in many ways. And the the religious leaders, of course, hated this. And they said, you shouldn't be saying this because they knew what it meant. And they didn't want to admit who Jesus was. But I love Jesus' response. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus says to them, you, you want them to be quiet, you don't like this, you don't like how it's being presented, you want to throw cold water on this, and you shouldn't go down, whatever you're thinking. Listen, this is going to happen no matter what, because this has been ordained by the Father. Even if everybody were to keep their mouths quiet, the rocks or the stones would cry out. 
And that's where we got rock music from, Marty. I want you to know that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I had to add that one in. If you'd read the King James, it said rock. I don't know. What does it say? Did you say stones or rock? But anyway, stones. Well, we're going to change it to rock because that way we can use that joke better. But they're going to cry out. But you imagine, in other words, nature itself, an inanimate object, we would say today, you know, is, is going to ring forth in praise if, if people were to keep silent. In other words, this is going to happen whether you like it or not because this is ordained by the Father. And again, uh, it, it's just this point right here, up to this point and what we just read, uh, this, this teeny section of Jesus' life, it's just, it's just the way we feel like the whole ministry should have been, right? With people rejoicing and people excited and people are happy that He's there and part of all this. Because much of Jesus' ministry wasn't like that, right? Uh, a lot of people that followed him, and particularly early on, and even in this crowd, there was certainly some of those that followed him for what they thought they could get from him, right? What they could get out of it. If they could get healed, or if they could get a meal because he provided you know, miraculously food uh, on several occasions. And, uh, you know, so much of the time it was just, hey, help me with this, or do this for me, or get this for me, or wow, you did this for me, or we saw, you know, it was something like that. It wasn't any kind of, you know, commitment to Jesus. It was what they were getting out of the whole deal. But this time, and this day, Jesus was going to be praised for all that he did. And remember, so much of the other time in the ministry, or, or all the other point in the ministry, even when people wanted to give him praise, what did he do? Be quiet. Don't say anything. You know, Jairus' house, remember he healed his 12-year-old daughter. Hey, don't say anything. Don't make a big deal. He, he put everybody out of the house except for a few people and their parents. And, you know, don't make a big deal about this. And, and you know, to others he healed, just, okay, you need to by the law, you need to go show yourselves to the priest that you're cleansed now. Or, hey, yeah, yeah, you can see now, but don't make a big deal about this. Just rejoice. Or, you know, um, this and that. Just so many times that Jesus, even the, the, the demons that would cry out, right? And he would tell them to be quiet. I don't want to hear it from you, uh, certainly, and, and others. Uh, it's not the time to be revealed. But at this point, Jesus, and for the, the first time, he is actually inviting public praise and adornment, and recognition of who he was. And I, I just imagine, just for this, this brief period of time, how wonderful that was, and the way it kind of should be, or should have been, in one sense, the whole way. Uh, but certainly the Father wanted it to be known at this time. People rejoicing, and seeing, and praising, and now doing all those things as he's riding down this hill. But that's not completely Jesus' what's going on with him. And it says in verse 41, As he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially this day, the things that make for you peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation and again i'll put that little this little uh drawing of the mount of olives on on the right side and then you come down the kidron valley and then you kind of go up a little bit into jerusalem 
And I don't know at what point Jesus is writing down, but certainly there's a good view of all of Jerusalem coming down that hill. And at one point, Jesus just begins to cry. And, you know, the only other time we see Jesus cry is over death with Lazarus. He wasn't crying because he was dead because he knew he'd raise him back up, but just the, the heartbreak of seeing everybody mourn over death and what sin brought into this world, you know, specifically at that point, death. And this is the only other time that we see Jesus crying because he sees what will happen in less than 40 years to Jerusalem. I, I just, I don't know, maybe a picture out of a, a movie or something in your own mind, however you did, you know, where, uh, you know, somebody gets this picture of the future or something. I don't know, I ever, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you see it, this beautiful city, which it was at this point when he's riding in. Herod had put a lot of money into it, the Romans, and made the temple and its courts beautiful and, and the city beautiful and built many big places around there. He was a builder and spent a lot of money there. That, that this place in less than 40 years is just not one stone is going to be upon another. And the city is just going to be totally wiped out. He sees the Roman army surrounding it and building up these you know, siege ramps to, to knock down the wall. And then he sees literally what we know would be millions of Jews dead in Jerusalem because of their rebellion against Rome. And he sees that. It breaks his heart because he sees just the, the sin and the hardness of heart in people, and particularly the Jewish people. And he's crying because of their condition overall. His desire to draw them near, to have peace, what they're really longing for in life, we would say, but they didn't want it. Overall, as we know, in a few days, they're going to be saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, not everybody in the crowd, certainly, but there will be some that, that will be a part of that. And he knows that hardness of heart and the peace that he wants to desire and the peace that he knows that people ultimately want, and yet they reject it. And let me just remind us, that breaks the Father's heart. He has a love for people. We can't forget that. People, again, have so many um, wrong concepts of our Heavenly Father. Uh, but He is literally crying here. Literally crying at the hardness of hearts of people. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus, you know, uh, I'm sorry, the Heavenly Father uses that term, God uses that term, Father. Because, you know, He puts the heart, and, and you as parents know, you know, and I think he likes to refer himself as a father because it's like as parents, you know that, man, when you see your children making wrong decisions or wrong turns or have wrong thinking or make mistakes or wrong attitudes or directions, and, 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 and it just breaks your heart. You go, oh, man, that's not going to lead to something good. Oh, that's not a good attitude to have. And most of it because we've lived it and experienced it and we've seen all that. And, and so we know the love we have when we see them making wrong decisions or having wrong attitudes or not doing the right things. And, 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 it, and it breaks our heart. And the Lord knows that's, that, that's the way I am, but with the whole world and with all people on this huge scale. And people think, you know, if I do something wrong, you have those that think, oh, lightning bolts are going to come out of the sky, right? So every time they go by a cemetery or a church, they, yeah, they, you know, cross themselves or they have a little, um, what are those prayer beads? I kind of think of them. Rosary beads. Rosary beads, thank you. Hanging from their 
their rear view mirror or on their arm or something, you know, because I, 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 I just don't want to be on the wrong side of it. So I got to appease him somehow, you know. Uh, th that's the way some people uh, think about him or they think, you know, he's so far off or he's so far removed or he doesn't care, he, he doesn't want to get involved, uh, you know, or anywhere in between there. But we need to see, oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. I guess I could sing the song now. I didn't mean to do the lyrics that way, but that's what it was, right? He does. And he is crying at the fact of the hardness of the heart of the people that he sees just in this 40 years, but I'm sure it has much more to do with the people overall who reject this. But that's the heart of our Father. He is weeping over the hardness of people's hearts and not wanting to receive the peace that they so desperately need and really on the inside so desperately want, and yet there's so much that gets in the way and the rejection of that. And he's weeping over that. And he's certainly weeping over what they're going to do just in the next few decades and how the whole city is going to be wiped out. So he's, he's riding there and he's heading now towards the temple, uh, coming down the hill, going into the temple courts. And verse 45 says, And then he, be, uh, then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who brought, bought and sold in it, saying, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now we know it was actually the next day that this happened from the Gospel of Mark. So this wasn't some rash outburst. Don't don't misunderstand this. Um, you know that he just there's like some knee-jerk reaction. You know he he is doing this. And here's a picture of the temple. Now in, in Herod's in Jesus' day, and the temple you can see the inner courts where the temple was that big kind of tall building. And then there was kind of the inner courts, which is the, inside that inner fence. And then there was the outer courts, right? And you can see that big area and had these big colonnades around it where you could, covered area. So you could see how it could hold so many people. And of course, all around that whole area there, as they would go in and out of the temple, um, uh, you know, uh, become uh, a swap meet, <laughs> we would say today. Maybe that's a, the closest thing we can maybe think of in our own way. But, you know, uh, again... What was going on in this place that made Jesus so mad wasn't the fact that, you know, there was a swap meet. It's like, you know, going down to the old movie theater. I don't even know if they have that over there anymore. Do they have it at the old movie theater there by Sutter? I don't know. Do they have that swap meet there anymore? Does anybody know? I don't know. But they had a swap meet over here. And... Yeah, the drive-in? That's close? Oh, it's close. Oh, that's right. COVID whole deal. Yeah. So, but, you know, just, you know, I kind of think of it in those terms, but... But, but it was so much more than that. So, but basically, you know, people would be coming in from all over to celebrate Passover. And typically, Jewish people, if they could make it to one feast, they would make it to Passover. Because remember, the Jews had spread out over much of the Roman Empire and even farther east because of being in captivity and, and all those things years and decades and centuries earlier. But, and, and so they would bring in... Um, Typically, the Old Covenant let, let them, the Old Testament basically told them the law of Moses, if you live so far away and you know you're supposed to bring these animals in or this offering or this grain or whatever it is you're supposed to bring in, if it's too much, if you live too far away, you can exchange it for money and then when you get to Jerusalem, you can buy what you need to offer for the sacrifice so that you could do it that way. That was a lot allowed in the law of Moses. So there was a lot of people coming in that would certainly do that. 
But again, they would be trading in Roman money, and the Jews would say, this is the religious leaders and those that operated the, the temple, the priests and all that. They would say, well, we can't use Roman coins here. You have to exchange that for the Jewish money. And of course, they would make money on that exchange rate. Um, remember back in the day when you went to a, a foreign country and you had to exchange your money, and you'd always look for the one in the airport? To get, I remember those, uh, you know, before the euro and all that, when if you travel to Europe, you had to get so many different... I don't know, maybe you guys remember that, but anyway, you, you know, you had to exchange the money, and there was always that exchange rate, um, and, and uh, you know, it would cost you so much just to get that money, and so they were making money off that, and, and then, of course, they had to collect the temple tax. Everybody was supposed to, you know, provide a half a shekel of, of, of to, to support the temple. All the Jews were supposed to do that, so they would be taking money in exchange on that. And then people, you know, they say, well, if you want to buy a, a an animal to sacrifice, which they would have to do for Passover, uh, you know, here it is, but you have to buy from, you know, from us. And here are these uh, are approved animals that, you know, we consider to, to be in fulfillment of what the Old Testament, the law, you know, and they would charge you whatever. Instead of, you know, buying a lamb for a hundred bucks, you know, they would charge 150 or whatever it is. Uh, kind of like the taxes we pay at the gas pump. <laughs> I don't know, that always chaps me every time I get gas. But the difference is, between that, is they were ripping off God's own people. And Jesus saw this. This was a place for them to come to meet the Lord. This is to come to meet God. For, for all people, for all nations, Jesus would say, right? And you made it this big swap meet, this big exchange thing, and this big place to rip off people. And so Jesus goes and turns all this over and says, this is wrong, and points it out that it's all wrong. And again, remember, he's doing this because he loves the people. And he can't stand to see them getting ripped off, particularly by, by those that should be helping them draw closer to him. And the Father knows what's going on, and he cares for those who come to him. And one day, you know, uh, they, these guys that are ripping people off will certainly be called into account. But he's doing this because he loves people and he wants to see great things happen. And he wants them to be encouraged in their worship of the Lord and not discouraged. Because the people weren't stupid. They know what's going on. They know the deal. They see all this stuff. Man, you're just doing this all for your own. And you're just padding your pockets and this and that and whatever. And, and it's out of love that he does this. And then verse 47 said, And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And so Jesus, we know, would sit there and be teaching and teaching and talking to them. And man... They love to hear this. Those people that had just been se segregated in society by the religious leaders and all those that came and heard all this, they were just, man, they just, they loved to hear Jesus had to say, but there was this huge jealousy with the religious leaders, which of course we'll get into as we talk about next time. Well, let's, let's close there. Father, we do thank you for this, uh, again, this time and this reminder and, and Lord, um, you know, I guess in some ways I kind of would hope that, you know, much of Jesus' ministry would be, you know, like this celebration of um, this triumphal entry and the people rejoicing and celebrating and shouting out 
who he really was and what he was really here for and doing. And, and, uh, we, but you know, you had a proper time to acknowledge all that publicly and the right time where you said it was going to happen. And it is happening. And nothing is ever going to stop that. And Lord, we need to be encouraged by that fact that we are those that realize that your will and your plan is going to come to pass. We just have to stay faithful to it. And yes, uh, there's going to be bumps and, and lumps and difficulties along the way. But Lord, you just call us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful people, Lord. Help us just like those people just to be willing to do with what we have. And it doesn't matter what we think of ourselves in, in any terms of social or economic or, or any other sort of definition that society puts on who we are or our status in some way. Let us help be willingly just to give what we can and what we can do and, and, and love you that way, just to show our love in, in, in whatever way that we can. And um, Lord, uh, because you do love us and uh, your plan is going to come to pass. And Lord, we can trust you. And we just see how you, how you wept over the hardness of heart and not receiving what should have been joyful for everybody and what should have been received in the plan that you had all along, Father. And we know that there's a stubborn hearts out there today, Lord, and we, we do pray for them. We do pray that they would open their hearts and receive you and see your love and see the peace and see all that there is found in you, that love, that forgiveness of sin, that right relationship with, with you, Father. And, and what, what we're finally longing for in our hearts, Lord, and so we, we pray that we would continue to walk in that, Lord, and, and to spread that good news of truly who you are to people that don't know it, Father, because you do love them, and you do cry over that hardness of heart, Father. It does break your heart, because you do love all people of all time, and your desire is that all of them come to know you, though you give us a free will to choose or not to choose, Lord. But those that don't choose, we it does break your heart. And we want to pass that message along. And we want to remind people what they're really longing for, that peace that they're really longing for is found in you. Help us to be those messengers, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to just continue to rejoice in you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.